You're listening to the Mind Your Home Podcast. I'm your host, Mia Danielle, and I'm here to tell you that the number one thing you can optimize to give you more energy and happiness is your environment. If you're tired of the chaotic cycle and ready to feel energized at home with more simplicity, more energy, and less clutter, then welcome to the Mind Your Home Podcast. Welcome back. And if you're new here, then welcome. My name is Mia. I chat all about holistic and clutter-free spaces. So if that's something you're interested in, then be sure to go ahead and click subscribe and turn on the notifications. So today I'm going to be clearing the air of a lot of the very, very common lies, misconceptions, myths that I hear about minimalism and also about decluttering in general. So we can consider this like a public service announcement for anybody who's ever emailed me saying, this is why I can't get the clutter out or this is why I could never be clutter free. I'm going to be sharing the seven most common ones that tend to pop up in some form or another over and over again. Um, But first, I do want to let you know that in two weeks, I'm offering a free live masterclass. So I'll be sharing my holistic clutter-free formula live, which is something that I only do once or twice a year. So this is the first time I'm offering a live masterclass this year, and I'll try to offer another one at the end of the year, but we don't have a date set yet. So I definitely recommend if you're able to make it that you try to make it live because they can be a lot of fun. There's a lot of back and forth in the chat, and there's always a Q&A at the end. So if you have any specific questions that you want answered um, live by me, then that's a great time to do it. So I'm going to leave a link down in the description so you can go ahead and save your spot. Again, it's in two weeks, so that's going to be on April 9th at 1 p.m. Pacific time. All right, so let's dive into some of these lies that we tell ourselves. The first one that I hear is... I can't be minimalist or go clutter free because I'll have to get rid of fill in the blank. It's this fear that somebody's going to tell you what you have to get rid of or try to persuade you or force you to get rid of something that you're not ready to get rid of or that you don't want to get rid of. Um, I see this come up a lot in some of the surveys that I send out. So I frequently send out surveys to just, you know, see where people are, what people are struggling with, different areas that I could touch on in these videos or inside of Clutter Cure, my course. So one of the questions that I ask is, why haven't you started decluttering or what are you finding to be your biggest barrier to getting the clutter out or creating those spaces that you want? And one of the common responses that I've been seeing is, honestly, I'm scared that somebody's going to try to get me to get rid of something that I don't feel comfortable getting rid of. Or I'm worried that I'm going to have to get rid of my book collection if I start down this path. I feel like books is a big one when it comes to this particular myth. Uh, A lot of people just really love having hardcover copies of books and don't want to get rid of their physical books. They don't want to switch over to Kindle or to some other electronic or streaming book service. So uh, a lot of people feel like if I go clutter-free or if I go minimalist, then I'm going to have to get rid of all of these books that I've been collecting. And honestly, there are no rules. I think that the insidious lie behind this one is that there's this hidden list of rules that exist. And a lot of that comes from other people on the internet or or different fanatics who feel like you have to be living out of a backpack in order to call yourself a minimalist. Or, you know, and some of it may may come from internal pressure, feeling like I'm going to feel obligated to get rid of these things that I don't want to get rid of if I start down this path and, and try to create this space for myself. But there are no rules. It really is customizable. You can make your space 
to be whatever is uniquely going to be the most supportive for you. You know, if you've listened to me long, a long time, then I talk a lot about creating supportive spaces and that that's never a one size fits all. So it also means that there is no specific item number. Like you don't have to have a certain number of shoes or a limit to the number of shirts that you own. It, what matters more is how you're using them, how frequently, you know, how damaged are they? Are there things that are shoved around? Like I can give you symptoms of things that indicate that something is clutter and that it's probably time to let it go. But nobody can really tell you, oh, this type of thing is absolutely clutter for you because nobody really knows how you feel about your belongings, how you use your belongings, and what those purposes are that they're serving for you, even if it's not a physical functional purpose. It also means that there is no quality standard or quality metric that qualifies as being okay to keep or necessary to get rid of. I've told people before, one of my favorite shirts that I just recently got rid of, but I kept it for years before I did that, was a just giant oversized minion shirt that I got at Disneyland. And I kept this thing until the white color turned more of a cream and the threads that made the designs on it were falling off and hanging off. The quality metrics of this thing, I'm saying, were not what you would consider to be high quality and it might even be considered like slightly damaged but i wore that thing every night it made me feel comfortable it was easy to toss on i loved wearing it so it was not cluttered to me somebody else may have had that same shirt refused to wear it because of the stains and the loose threads and that would have been an indication of clutter for them so quality metrics are not an indication of when something is best to get rid of or when something is not. And that's not to say that quality, I'm definitely a quality over quantity type of person. Like I'll talk about that a lot about how if you're going to invest in something, you should invest in something that's going to have longevity, that's going to support you better and last longer. So you're not having to purchase that thing so frequently. Um, so it is smart to make those decisions. But once you've made the decision, there's no quality metric for getting rid of the things. Um, so I just, I feel like this is important because oppression hinders progress. When you feel like you have this oppressive um, obligation or something that, that you have to do, it, it really hinders your progress because a lot of the times we just don't even get started at all if it feels like it's such a negative experience. So if you are intent on making clutter-free holistic spaces, but you're holding yourself back because of some of these lies that we're going through today, I just want you to remind yourself that oppression hinders progress. Taking small steps that aren't maybe giant leaps is going to be better than doing nothing at all because you're afraid of not living up to some certain standard. This second one is the most common, and I'm sure that you've used it before. I definitely know I have, and that is Decluttering valuable things is wasteful. Even as I say it, it sounds like something that would be true, right? Something is valuable, you don't just get rid of it, that is wasteful. Uh, and, and that's why it's so easy to default to this reasoning whenever we're considering letting go of things or going through our massively overwhelmed closet and getting rid of stuff because if anything feels like it has any kind of intrinsic value, then it seems wasteful to declutter it. So let's talk about why this isn't true. First of all, let, let's switch around the perspective about waste worry is what I call it. I call it waste worry because it's so common. Um, and that is if something is not being used and it's living inside of your closet or a drawer or storage or a box in the garage, is it really more wasteful 
to be storing this thing and holding on to it and it not be used. And just think, like, think of the man hours that went into inventing this thing or, you know, creating, developing it um, into like manufacturing it and all of the parts and the materials and then the dollars that you spent to buy it and then take it into your home. Like all of the steps that this item has lived through. Um, is it more wasteful for that thing to then sit in a box in the garage, sit up in a shelf on your closet, uh, get shoved away somewhere just so that it's living inside of your own home space? Or is it less wasteful for it to actually go to somebody who could use it to be donated, to be beneficial to another person or even sold? So I think that we just need to reframe what we consider the definition of waste to be. Now, I'm not going to go super deep into this because it'll probably be a video on its own at some point about waste worry and why it is and how, you know, because there's like a whole psychology behind it. But I will say that there are, of course, different reasons that we place value on things. So it could be monetary. I spent this much money on it, so it's wasteful to not get that money back if I try to sell it. Or it's wasteful to definitely donate it to somebody else and get no money back for it. For it. Or we can place rarity value on it. Like this is something that's not made all the time. It was handmade. It was given to me by relatives. So I inherited it. Um, a lot of these things are just different levels of value that we can place on things and that can really make us feel like we're in this position of obligation and then even guilt about getting rid of it. So again, I just, I strongly encourage you to try to work on, if that's you, reframing your perception of waste. Number three is that it only works if the whole family is on board. This is what I like to call the scapegoat excuse because I have so many people who come and they're like, oh, I really want to get the clutter out and go clutter free and I'm gung-ho about this. But my husband, he is a super hoarder or he's like a big clutter bug or it's not me, it's them. It's the kids, it's the other people in the family. And that may be true. I'm not saying it's not true. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't be whatever level of clutter-free or minimalist you want to be with your own belongings. We all have our own belongings. So while your spouse, significant other, roommate, wife, husband, whoever, might still not be on board with getting rid of stuff and might want to still hold on to all of their stuff from college and before, that is not your belonging. So you can absolutely still be clutter-free and minimalist with your own belongings. And when you start to make those changes, that's usually the first step to getting other people on board. I've had people tell me this all the time. Students have told me and they're super surprised and excited, like even the kids and my husband's pitching in, which I never expected. Um, when you start making those changes for yourself in your own spaces and you start reaping the benefits, you're having more time, more energy, things are looking nicer, other people you'll probably find are more likely to come on board. They're more likely to see something that they want in what you're doing and then to at least mimic that in some of the areas of their spaces. And it always helps, of course, to have a conversation. I, there's nothing wrong with that, with having a conversation, trying to do some zone defense to where maybe your stuff goes in one area and their stuff is secluded to another area. Those types of things are always nice. But there is no blanket, if we all don't do it, then I can't do it. So I think that it's really important that you that you still have that personal sense of personal identity that you can still create and uh, make spaces and do with your own belongings what feels right to you and what's going to help with your own daily patterns. Now, yes, of course, if you're sharing a space with somebody else and start some of the common items are still being left out, it can be a hassle. 
So share the reasons with your significant other or with your family, the true heartfelt reasons why you're wanting to get rid of the clutter, why you're wanting to make these changes for your space. Something besides like, I'm just tired of looking at all this clutter. Why do you keep leaving this out? You know, something besides the nagging that we can sometimes fall into and just, uh, you know, share the, the heartfelt benefits. And maybe you'll find that people are also more likely to come on board. But even if they aren't, you're still able to reap a lot of benefits just from decluttering your own stuff. You know, decluttering your own clothes, your wardrobe, that's going to impact how you get dressed every morning, how quickly you're able to make decisions, how good you feel and what you wear every day. Um, decluttering your bathroom products, that's going to make your evening routine a lot easier. It's going to clear up a lot of space in the bathroom. So I think a lot of times we use this scapegoat excuse as a form of procrastination to keep us from doing the things that we want to do by saying, what's the point? And I'm just saying that there's still significant benefit in creating these clutter-free spaces, even just in your own area, if that's all you're able to do. Number four is that you have to be a clean person in order to pull off being a minimalist or being clutter-free. And you know, some families may not identify as being clean. You might be like, my family is a messy family. There is no way that we could pull off uh, minimalism. What, you know, I don't necessarily love to clean. I hate to clean. I don't wanna walk around worrying about wiping down the tables 10 times a day. I'm not a clean freak. And so I think that it's important that you disassociate cleanliness from minimalism. I have a whole other video I'm gonna link right here in a card that's called Messiness and Minimalism, Can They Coexist? So you can take a look at that after this video. But just as a spoiler alert, the answer is yes, they can coexist. They have to coexist. As humans, we are consumers. Um, you can, of course, temper your consumerism. And I suggest that you do. I think that that's a good and healthy thing. But we're always going to consume things. We're going to consume food. We're going to consume beverages. We're going to consume clothes and living spaces. Um, so as long as we have to have other things besides just the skin on our body, there's the potential to make a mess that's always going to be there. So messiness and minimalism are not the same thing. Now, there is a correlation. I like to say they have a relationship, right? You can get the clutter out and create a clutter-free space, and that's going to make cleaning easier. It's going to cut down on the amount of time that you're having to put into cleaning, the amount of energy that you're having to devote to keeping things clean. In fact, if you hate cleaning, the minimalism is a great way to go because you're going to have to clean a lot less. Um, but one does not require the other. And along that same thread is the belief that I have to be an organized person in order to be clutter-free or to be a minimalist. I have to be like super meticulous and orderly and know how to organize and how to put things in rows. I mean, you wouldn't believe how many people come to me asking for organizing advice and I'm not a professional organizer. I talk about getting the things out the door, not filing them up and you know putting them in a system and putting the little labels on them. That can be fun. I'm not going to lie, like I do like for things to look orderly and organized, but I would much, much rather just to have space, to not have a really intricate system that I'm having to keep up with. So I am not the queen of organization by any means. And I think that honestly, people who aren't naturally organized have a leg up in the decluttering department because people who love organizing are going to be wanting to organize. They're going to be wanting to make the things pretty, to put them up in bins, to you know put the labels on, to put them in the filing system. They're gonna be wanting to do all of that stuff and that is not getting the things out the door. That's the opposite. 
that's that's finding a, more homes for more things and more space to put your organization systems. So if you're bad at organizing, you're more likely to just pick something up and be like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't have an organizing system. Let's put it in the box to donate it. And you're at an advantage when it comes to that. So, you know, I think that a lot of times we put our own mental oppression on ourselves. You know, I said earlier, oppression hinders progress. Well, that oppression isn't always from outside people telling us what we should and shouldn't do. Sometimes it's from our own beliefs and opinions about what we can and can't do ourselves. Like, I'm not a naturally organized person, so it's just not possible for me to have a home that I love like all these other people do. You know, we get these belief and mindset systems and we just mentally oppress ourselves. So don't let yourself, based on whatever identity you have of being not not clean enough or not organized enough or I'm just a hot mess, you know, whatever it is, um, don't let those beliefs and thoughts hold you back and perpetuate these lies and these myths about why you can't have the space that you want to have, why you can't have a decluttered space or even be a minimalist if that's what you want to be. Number six is the lie that it's rude to get rid of gifts, that it's rude or mean or hurtful or unthoughtful or whatever words you want to put into that place, you know. And so this is just like the, the waste worry that I was talking about earlier. This is an area where we just need to have a perspective reframe. When somebody gives you a gift, the act of them giving the gift is essentially the gift itself. I mean, the item is really just a physical representation of them showing their love, their appreciation, happy birthday, uh, whatever it is that they're giving you a gift for. I've become very mindful of giving gift receipts. I did that this past Christmas. I love that Amazon now has a button that you can push to automatically text message somebody a gift receipt. And so I did that with all of my gifts because if I give somebody something that they don't want to keep, I want them to exchange it for something that they want or to get money back for it or something. You know, I want them to have only the things that they really love inside of their home. And I think that a lot of other people feel the same way. And so when you hold on to things out of guilt or obligation or some worry about hurting their feelings, it's like you're imposing this story of what you think they might be thinking onto these other people, which isn't really fair. So if you think about it, if you flip that around, instead of thinking it's rude to get rid of gifts, try thinking of it as it's rude to hold on to gifts that that person would not want you to be holding on to if they knew that you didn't want it. If you just switch around the way that you think of things, it changes everything. And number seven is, I would say, the big procrastination reason. And that is that I need to make it a big project. It has to be a big project. Decluttering my entire home, oh, that's gonna take days. I need to set aside days. I need to get all of these supplies. Um, I need to make sure that I'm amped up and have all this energy because it has to be done all at once. This whole hyping yourself up and believing that it has to be this larger than life, huge project that you're going to have to do in order to get it done is just a formula for procrastination. And in fact, I think that a lot of times we just tell ourselves that over and over again so that we can feel comfortable continuing to procrastinate. I do have another video that's called um, How to Find the Time to Declutter Even If You're Busy and Low Energy. So if you're like, well, you don't know, I'm super busy, or I've had people come to me with medical conditions who have like 30 minutes of really good energy per day. This video is a great one for anybody who's in that type of situation because I show you how to create bubbles of time, these effervescent bubbles of time 
to do your decluttering projects and to not think of it as one giant burdensome thing because our brains just, they can't, they can't handle that kind of pressure. And sometimes you might find the time to break down and actually get it done and set aside a week. But how many of you know that that usually turns into someday or next week? or maybe next spring break or over the summer. And it's just like, it's always later, 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 because it's never gonna feel like a really good time to take on that kind of a project. So one through seven, let me know down in the comments which one of these or which several of these you find yourself playing on repeat, either in your own mind or to other people. What are your go-to myths or lies that you tell yourself about why you can't have the space that you wanna have? So let me know down in the comments which ones those are. I can't wait to read them. Um, and don't forget, in two weeks, I'll be doing my live masterclass of my holistic clutter-free formula. You can get access to that for free by clicking the link down below and saving your spot. So you'll be getting in early. We're still two weeks ahead, but it's going to be April the 9th at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And I can't wait to see you there. I'll chat with you next week.